0: And I'm blessed to be able to share uh, the word with you this morning. Pastor Michael showed me some liberty. We're going, you know, he's transferring into another book, so kind of a little grace period here. So he wanted me to work on my birthday. <laughs> so, so I said, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> no, it's always an honor and a privilege to come and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, I wanted to open with, with another. Thing, is that um, I found this online, and I found it kind of interesting, but we're going to be talking about time. We're going to be Ecclesiastes 3: 1 through11. But I found this, and it says this: Richard Needham conducted several years of research to reveal how we spend our time, and it showed, or he showed that the average American spends. Are you ready? Three years in business meetings. They must work at Living Truth. No, <laughs> Thirteen years watching TV. Six months stopping at stoplights. Oh, that understands why a lot of people don't stop. They just roll on through. Eight months of opening junk mail. One year of looking for misplaced objects. Where did I put my glasses? Four years of doing housework. Two years of returning phone calls. And how about this one? Five years waiting in line. Yep. We were at Costco yesterday, waiting in line. 24 years of sleeping. I like that one. Six years of eating. I like that one. There's an interesting one. Makes 1,811 trips to McDonald's. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Men are hospitalized eight times, and women are hospitalized 12 times. So the younger generation out here, this is what you have to look forward to. And the older generation, that's why we're so tired. (laughs) Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And in verse 1 it says, there's an appointed time for everything, and there's a time for every event under the sun. And if you move down to 11, it says he has made everything appropriate or beautiful in its time. So that's the opening line. And then that's going to be the one we're going to close with. And so everything in the middle here is time related. Practically, earthly time. God is not bound by time. He's linear. So he's the beginning from the end. We are in this round 24-hour timetable. And so as we look at this time and how we use the time, I first want to define what time is according to how we're going to work this out. And I will also define appointed. So time is defined this way, the progression of events from the past to the future. Time moves only in one direction. It's possible to move forward in time, but not backwards. My opening statements are in the back, they're past time. I can repeat them, but now they're in the present time. You kind of get my point. We know that God is outside time as we know it, but he knows that uh, we're here and we're bound by the time. And that's why I think Solomon writes this so that we know and not, not surprised that we go through these different seasons and different times in our life. We want things to happen in our time. And if they don't happen in our time, even as the example I stated as coming to work this morning or coming to church this morning, I instantly got defensive because don't they know that I'm bound by time and I have to be there by a certain time and you know, like I wouldn't make it or something. But we have a tendency to get angry when things don't fall into our timeline. So times are appointed. What does that mean? If something happens at an appointed time, it happens at the time it was decided in advance. Example. We have church services here, 8.30, 10.30, and 1. We have a Wednesday night service at 7.00. Those are appointed times. What do you mean? Those are scheduled. They're on the website. They're in the bulletin. They're on the door. They're on our business cards. Those are appointed times. If you have a dinner date, a reservation for dinner, that is an appointed time. If If you play golf and you have a tea time, that is an appointed time. All these times are set in motion ahead of time when you make the appointment. And what we're going to look at for the most part are things on this earth that we deal with in a time-related matter. My goal in this study, if you will, is to make these verses relevant for today. I'm going to try to give you some practical examples on each one of these that maybe um, you've experienced or have I have experienced. Or you'll have a better understanding about what is being said here. Now, we know that Solomon is the writer of Ecclesiastes, and we believe, or I believe, that he's going to lay out, if you will, for our instructions not to be all tripped out or bummed when all these different things come up. They're going to happen. I do want to make one statement here though. An appointed time, everything is appointed by God. I may ruffle some feathers and you got to just we got all just have to work out our own uh, salvation with fear and trembling. But one of the things I know that times are appointed. For instance, we have elder meetings at appointed times. Now I have an option as an elder to be there or not to be there. That is the question. To quote Shakespeare. No. But that's true, isn't it? I can go or I can not go. That's where the free will kicks in. God has set things in an appointed time For each and every one of us, for everything under the sun, he sets an appointed time. But the question is, will you do it? Will you follow through with it? Because listen, my friends, if you don't, he'll get somebody that will. Point of case. Preaching this morning. I was appointed this time, this hour, to come and preach. When Pastor Michael asked me, I could have said, nope. I don't feel I'm ready I, don't, I could have made a thousand and one excuses right up until the moment in time I stepped on this stage even now I can walk away with free will it's an appointed time but it's a choice that each one of us has to make when the appointment is at your doorstep when that time comes and God nudges you to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior you have an option yes, no anything that's scheduled, anything that's appointed because of our free will can take us away from it. He wants obedience. He doesn't want a puppet. So I'm going to leave that thought right there with you to work out for yourself. And I want to get back to our text. So there will be a day when we are not bound by time. That's the purpose of verse 11. There will be a day when we are taken home, whether by Jesus coming back or passing away, death. There will be a time when we are not bound by this 24-hour clock. We know that in Genesis 1 1, in the creation story, it was an appointed time for God to create the heavens and the earth. We know that man was created in verse 26 of chapter 1. We also know that man was created to live eternally, forever. He wasn't supposed to die. Why do we die? Because they chose to do something wrong. They chose the fruit. They chose to step outside of the will of God. They didn't have to, but they chose to. And I think for some of us, or a lot of us, that's the situation, God has appointed time for you to be here even at this moment in time and you opted to follow through. But there are other times in our life when God says, we need you to do this or I would like you to do this or do this and we make excuses of why we can't do that. It's important to see the completeness of God. He is sovereign. He's not bound by time. Each activity that we're going to look at in this Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, has an opposite. It's a poem. And together they tell what God would like for us to do. And again, we have the option of whether we want to do it or not. In verse 2, well, let's, read the, let's go back and read the text real quick. We're going to read Ecclesiastes 3 1 through 11. There is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for everything or every event under heaven. There's a time to give birth and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. There's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, verse 5, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. There's a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and time to throw away a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Verse 9, what profit is there for the worker that in which he toils? Verse 10, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. Verse 11, he has made everything appropriate in its time he has also set eternity in their heart so that men will not find the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end so we go back to verse 2 and it says it's a time to give birth and a time to die we are obviously been born we're here And I have to say this, I think that we were born at the appropriate time for such as this. We sometimes say, I wish I was born in the past generation or I wish I was born in a future generation. You were appointed to be here even at this given moment in time and you chose to. Our birth was not chosen by us. We had no option. I couldn't decide when I was going to be born. God decided it for me. He's also going to decide when I die. Ah. But that brings up another point that I even discussed a minute ago. Can you step outside of God's timing and go home before your time? Interesting, huh? If everything is appointed, then I should be able to live my life out as long as God puts it there, which is true. But I'm just wondering where the free will aspect kicks in. In other words, I can choose to stand on the street corner And a bus drives by, and in that moment in time, I just said, well, I think I'll step out in front of the bus. Do you think that God appointed me to step in front of that bus, or did I choose to step in front of that bus? That's a big argument in the the theological statements. I like to think that I have free will. God wants me to have free will. He wants me to follow Him. If He wanted robots, He would have made us all perfect. So there has to be something in there and I don't want to take it down any further because people think differently and that's all fine and good. That's my my opinion, my two cents, what I believe. But back to the time to give birth in Psalm 139, 13, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. A time to die. On this side of heaven, no one escapes death. Physical death. We don't always know when death occurs or is going to occur. And I'm not really sure that we even really need to know that God is sovereign and control. So we put our trust and faith in Him. I want to give you a couple of examples. We always need to be ready. And I think we would agree that we always need to be ready. But I would say this is some people get to know or have an idea, maybe not the exact time frame, but a broad, maybe narrower picture of when they're going to go. I'll give you two examples contrasting. That's what this does contrasts. So on January 19th, 1963, it was a Saturday, like any other Saturday 10, with a 10 year old. Riding my bike, playing baseball, curfew was when the sun went down. <laughs> Somebody knows what I'm talking about, right? We didn't have street lights, so it's not when the street lights came on, it's when the sun went down. And having dinner, all that stuff, time to go to bed. Go to bed. Next morning, we all get up except for my dad. 32 years old, dies. What's my point? My point is, you never know. You don't know. Contrast. My mother, the last eight years of her life, she lived with my wife and I. She had COPD, asthma, all you name it, oxygen. So we kind of knew that, and we watched over the eight years, it was a, a down spiral, if you will, and you just knew it was coming. And it did. But there's a contrast there. When my dad died, it was a shocker. What? How can that be? When my mom died, it was rejoicing. And I say that because it was. It was miserable the last eight years of her life. And so there was a celebration The point I want to make with this is that we always need to be ready because we don't know the day of the hour. We don't know the day of the hour that he's coming back or we know the day of the hour that we're going home. And so we always need to be ready because there is a time we will die. Or, I like this, are we, are will we live better than we have ever lived? Wow. Living the best life. Right? The eternal life. We're just passing through. We're just passing through. And I, and I think Solomon is reminding us here. These things are going to take place over the course of whatever time you have here. And the question is, now that you know these, how are you going to handle them? Foreknowledge, right? How are you going to handle these particular things? It says a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. For those of you who garden or have little farming skills, you know there are certain ways to prepare the field so you can plant. There are certain times of the year that you plant certain things and and you harvest certain things. But I want to take one more step because I do want to make this even more practical. There is a time to plant your family. There is a time to plant your family. And there's a time to uproot what is planted. You have come and you have planted your family here at Living Truth. But there may be a time when God takes you from this particular church And moves you on to somewhere else. Pastor Chris. By the way, Pastor Chris is older than me. (laughs) He was retiring. And he moves to Arizona. And being older than me starts a church. You got to be kidding me. But there is a time to move on. We have many people moving to Tennessee, Idaho, Texas. It's a time for them to move on and then get replanted there. But you would think that's bad, right? Not really. That's how it works if you're in God's will. Sometimes you just got to be moved on. But there's an upside to this too. Because as we are moving, or other guys' families are moving, new families are moving in. And they're planting their family. It's incredible. We've had a lot of families go. We've had a lot of families come. There's a time to plant, a time to uproot. Verse three, there's a time to kill and a time to heal. On the first service, I said, um, "There's a time to kill some animals and to eat. I'm like chicken. <laughs> I like Chick-fil-A. Where does chicken come from? Uh, probably a chicken. <laughs> Yesterday I had lunch at In-N-Out. I like hamburgers. Mm, where'd the hamburger come from? A cow." The cow had to die for get the chicken or get the hamburger. You get my point. There is a time. But I'd also say, as a church here at Living Truth, we believe in capital punishment. In Genesis 9, 6, it says this, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. And in Romans 13, 3 through 5, it says, for rulers are not the cause of fear, for God's behavior, or for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is the minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Do the right thing. There's a time to heal. There's a time in our life that we need to heal from the devastation of the things that have gone on. And even as we talked about 9-11 and the Twin Towers coming down, how that's the focus of the day and the prayer of the day is... To minister and strengthen the families left behind. There's this time, it's 21 years of healing that's taking place. To be able to bear it, to be able to stand up under it, to be able to tolerate it and try to think clearly about it, it certainly was devastating. But the world goes even further than that. Our land is being destroyed. But God wants to heal our land. He does. And I believe that he has an appointed time to heal our land. But I'm going to read to you a very prominent scripture about this. You'll know it more than likely. Second Chronicles seven fourteen If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. There is a time that's coming. There is a time where we will not be bound by this time. There's a time to tear down and a time to build up. I believe there's a time that we all need to be torn down. You might be thinking about your BC days, before your relationship with Christ, running and ripping and roaring and doing all the things of the world and things that please you. Sometimes we just need to be taken down a notch. Sometimes we just need those things stripped away from us so that we can be humbled. It's called dying to yourself. Sometimes you've got to die to yourself. You might say, put off the old man and put on the new man. Even as we've seen with the baptism and the symbolism of the baptism, going down and dying to yourself and coming back up fresh and new in Christ. A new creation, you might say. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. And behold, all things are new. Everything is new in its time. Again, the baptism is a symbol. There's a appointed time for all these things. Maybe you haven't been baptized yet. Maybe there was an appointed time for you and you passed it over because you were embarrassed or you were whatever the case might be. But it's not too late. For those of you who haven't been baptized, pray about it. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which easily ensnares you. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Why? Fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despising the shame and now he has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Sometimes you just have to put off the old person. We want to move forward and here we are. We're still running and gunning in our own way there's a time to weep in verse 4 a time to weep and a time to laugh you'll remember with me in John chapter 11 the story of Lazarus Jesus was called Lazarus ain't doing so good come over and heal him I'm paraphrasing trying to shorten the story a little bit but as he was going along he ran into the weeping team they were weeping and moaning and mourning because their brother Lazarus had died. When Jesus got on the scene in 1135, Jesus wept. Sometimes we are told, suck it up. Get over it. I'll give you something to cry about. And this Passage, the shortest passage in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus had emotions and feelings just like all of us experience. And it's okay to cry. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to laugh. As most of you know, I'm over the memorial services and I do a lot of memorials. And I use these scriptures and I tell him it's okay to laugh. It's okay to cry. God has given us these tear ducts for a reason. He's given these emotions to feel so that we can heal. There's also a time to laugh. Even in memorial services, our celebrations of life, as we like to call them, there is a time to laugh. A lot of times there will be open mics or speakers. And they are encouraged to speak about the fun times, the good times, the stories. About the testimony of the life the person lived. And by the way, the dash between a birth and death date is called legacy. That's the legacy. That's what the person has left between those two numbers. But there is a time to weep, and there is a time to laugh. In the return of the 70, if you know the story in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, at that same time, Jesus was filled with joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, O oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and revealing them to your childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Jesus' health knew how to laugh. Jesus knew how to mourn. Jesus knew how to display all the emotions that we have. Jesus knew the right time for every emotion. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to mourn when, of course, when we lose somebody. But there's also a time to mourn when we lose a family member, even when people leave the church, friends. Even when people are appointed or are called to another place. That doesn't mean we just say, oh, you know, doesn't mean that our feelings are discounted or gone away. We still care about the people that we've loved on for so many years. We still have these feelings and emotions. There's a time to mourn. And there's a time to dance. There's a time to rejoice when things take place. There's a time to rejoice when you see a baptism right before your eyes, and you get to partake in that. There's a, you get to be a witness to that. There's joy. There's even a time to dance. There's a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace and a time to shun. Most of the commentaries say that it refers to a place when the farmers are getting ready to uh, plant their fields. They go out and they collect all the stones so they can prepare the ground. There's a time. There is a time to throw stones. I made a note here. Take it for what it's worth. See if it registers with you. But I think words can be stones. Words can be stones. We have a tendency to have this little pot, so to speak, and we put all these words that we believe or think about different people and at any even given moment, we go to that basket and we start throwing the stones at people. I don't think it's right, I don't think it's right by any stretch of the imagination, but I think we do that. We start throwing stones. And we start throwing things back up in their face. If you're looking for somebody to be perfect, you'll never find them. That's where forgiveness and love and caring and all that other stuff comes in. I was also thinking about the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal son, I'll just kind of break it down. Prodigal son wants his inheritance. He's tired of hanging out at home. He wants to move on to the big fancy city. So he tells his dad, hey, all my inheritance he was being disobedient. He was being critical. He was disobeying, uh, disobeying his father. But his father loved him. His father loved him with an undeniable love. So he gave it to him and he let him go. Interesting point. A stone can be punishment. Do you know that a disobedient son in those particular days can be taken to the front gate And stoned to death. But his father. Chose to let him go. You might say. The father shunned his son. Until he went out. Blew all his money. Ended up with the pigs. Came home. Repentant. Just let me work on the ranch. Let me work on the farm. And what happened? The father ran to the son. Not only did he run to him, he put the, the uh, robe. He put the robe on him in the ring, and had a party and celebrated. Is that not a picture of our father in heaven? We want to run, we want to we want to do our own thing and we get shunned. Maybe you have somebody in your family who's wayward. Maybe you have somebody that's running their own show and you don't quite know what to do. Maybe it's time to shun them for a season. Much like the prodigal son until they get right and then embrace them. And then welcome them back with open arms. I got to tell you, that's rough. That's rough for a lot of families, especially mothers. But it's hashtag codependency. (laughs) Hashtag enabling. There's the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. What was the response there? The punishment was stoned to death. And they said, "Hey, Jesus. What do you think? He who has committed no sin throw the first stone." So stones can be a type of punishment. But it's funny because grace abounds. God's grace abounds for each and every one of us. Technically, we deserve death. But now we have what's called eternal life because of him. There's a time to search in verse 6 and a time to give up as lost. Any of you play golf? <laughs> if you play ever play golf with us, there's a time you're going to be searching. <laughs> you're going to be searching for golf balls. They're going to be in the bushes. They're going to be on the water. They're going to be all over everywhere but the fairway. <laughs> and at some moment in time, you just got to say, I, I, don't have t- I can't look for this anymore. You remember Matthew 18, the parable of the lost sheep. Different story, different scenario. He left the 99 to go get the one. Are you the one? Are you the one that he went after? He didn't give up on you. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. Garage sales, storage sheds, closets, (laughs) <laughs> all these things, time to throw away. I, I was sharing that we've, we bought our house in 1999, and I still have boxes that I haven't opened. <laughs> it's probably a time to throw them away or at least open them. But there are also things that we need to keep, too. Birth certificates, important papers, and things like that. I'm moving on because I'm running out of time, so... Verse 7 says there's a time to tear apart and a time to sew. A time to be silent and a time to speak. In those days when there was bad news, they would tear their garments and mourn. And when the problem was solved or cleared up, they would sew the garments back together again. In 2 Samuel 13, 30 and 31, it says, Now while they were on their way to on their way that the report came to David, saying, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them was left. Then the king arose, he tore his clothes, and he laid on the ground, and all the servants were standing by with their clothes torn. So that after the grieving, they sewed the clothes back together. And there's a time to be silent, and there's a time to speak. Uh, This is probably a tough one a tough one for a lot of us sometimes we want to talk too much and not really listen about what's going on and James chapter 1 verse 19 says this you know but my beloved brethren let everyone be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger obviously they didn't drive the 91 freeway Proverbs 1019 says, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. One way to get to know a person is talk to them for any length of time. You find out just where they're really at. There's a many years ago there was at my old church, we had an elder that was very quiet very reserved, listened a lot, didn't speak a lot. But when he did speak, he had something important to say. And I learned a lot of lessons from him about that, because every time I'd open my mouth, I would insert my foot. So just by listening and being, and, and paying attention, I learned, tried not to uh, talk too much. In fact, in the elder meetings these days, uh, the joke is, I just have one question, because normally I would talk until I got in trouble. There's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. We don't really think about hate when we talk or think about God, but there are things he loves and there are things that he hates. You can read Proverbs 6, 12 to 21. It talks about all the different things. He hates a lying tongue. He hates a lot of different things. In Psalm 119, 104, from thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Psalm 119, 13 and 14, I hate those who are double-minded, but I love thy law. And Luke 14, 20, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. I would say this about that I believe we're in a war now. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual war. Remember I want to make this practical. We are in a spiritual battle for our souls even at this moment and time. The wars are raging on. Yes, there are certainly wars around the world and we know that. There're certainly things going on. But there is a time for war question is how are you going to handle the battle? How are you going to handle it? Are you going to put on your armor? Ephesians 6. Are you going to take up the word of God? Psalm 119.11, your word I have hidden in my mouth so I may not sin against you. To be able to stand strong. Of course we know there will be peace. There will be a final time when we are not bound again by time. There'll be a time, Revelation 21, 4, where there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. All these things will be put to rest. I want to look at verse 11. I'm running out, I'm actually out of time. Verse 11 says, He has made everything appropriate or beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in our hearts so that man may not find a work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. God has set eternity in your heart. God has set eternity in my heart. Our problem is that we want to fill it with all sorts of things. Things of this world. Things that bring us joy, we think things that distract us from what we're really supposed to be doing, things that distract us from our appointed obligations, our our appointed times. I'd like to close with just a couple of thoughts. For you and me, this day, this time, this church, this service, was appointed for you and me. Nobody twisted your arm, put a gun to your head, and forced you to come inside the door. You're here on your own free will. You might say, appointed for what? Appointed to come here for what? And I don't know really why you were appointed to come, or what what you're here to get out of this. Because everybody will probably get something just a little bit different. Some will go wow, wow, wow. And some will actually hear something and strike a nerve. I was appointed to preach this morning. Why are you here? I don't know where you're at with your walk in Jesus. My hope is that each and every one of you are saved. I hope that you've asked Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior. I hope. And I pray that you have a relationship with Jesus, not a religion. I pray that you've taken the time to understand. And we know that you're here this morning, so you're hearing God's word. Our hope is that you're taking God's word and putting it into practical application and using it to what it's to be used for. We've talked about appointed times. I, again, find it interesting that Solomon puts this to number one. Things are usually done in order, like this is most important, number one, two, three, four. A time to live and a time to die is number one on his list. We certainly don't know the date of the hour nor the time of his return. Even as I illustrated my father and my mother one, shock. One, rejoice. And I say rejoice because I know she knew the Lord. And I say rejoice because there was no more pain, no more sorrow, and no more suffering. I would say this, and I'm going to close. Second Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, today... For those of you who are not saved, it is the day of salvation. Maybe you've been riding the fence, one leg in, one leg out. It's time to put yourself all the way in. Maybe you're on a rough patch of your life and you're fighting it on your own. You need to turn it over to God, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. He wants to help you. He wants to fight your battles. And for those of you who are fighting, Keep fighting. Stand strong. Stand strong in your faith. Keep praying. Keep worshiping. Keep fellowshipping. Keep sharing the gospel. And keep praying for your neighbor and your family members. I hope that you are. I hope nobody leaves here without knowing Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Because we don't know the hour. We don't know the day. In fact, in James 4.14 it says, Life is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow more or less. A while back I did a message called Life is But a Vapor. Interesting, I had a picture of my father up on the screen. I asked anybody if they know who that is. Not one person knew who it was but me. There's going to be a time when nobody knows you anymore except the one who created you. And that's the most important. Do you have a relationship with him? Can you say, Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, you're my all in all? I hope you can. I hope you can.